You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And I'll begin this way. Have you ever had a great disappointment in your life? I mean, the kind of disappointment um, that kind of, you know, it feels like the, the, the earth beneath you um, has absolutely come undone. And you are in a free fall of, of dreary and, and dread and uh, disappointment. Well, several years ago, we experienced this as a family. We took a trip to Washington, D.C., and we took our two older kids. We'd left our, our youngest of her age with her grandparents. So it was the four of us, and it was the first time the youngest, uh, our oldest two had ever been on an airplane. They're, they're aged, uh, you know, 11 and, and age eight. And so we, uh, we roll in on the airplane, we get there, we fly over, and we had been talking to the kids about this great surprise we were going to have for them um, during the week. And so they were, um, the anticipation was, was building, and we, you know, we'd built it up for several weeks. We're not going to tell you what it is, uh, but there's a great surprise, and you'll know when it happens. And so they, would, they were pestering us, you know, is this today the day? Is today the day? So we finally said, look, we'll tell you the day of that it's the day, but it won't happen till the evening, and that's all we're going to say about it. Well, what Leslie and I had done is we had gotten on very early when we knew we were going to go to Washington, D.C., and we bought tickets to the Lion King at the Kennedy's. I mean, it was sold out. We were able to get in. We got these four tickets, and they're not cheap. And so this was our big um, uh, reveal for the week. And so we had it scheduled for Wednesday night. We got there on a Sunday. Monday wakes up, it's today, the day. No, not today. Tuesday wakes up, it's today, the day. No, not today. And they wake up on Wednesday. And we say, today is the day. All day long, they drive us nuts about what this thing's going to be. And so that evening, we go back. We go back middle afternoon to the place we were staying. We changed our clothes. We were going to go eat in Union uh, Station. We, we went, we ate, and then we take the, um, the subway, the, the train, um, out to uh, Georgetown where it is, and we, and we get off, and we we're round the corner and head up towards the Kennedy Center, and it begins to dawn on them because on the, on the, all the light poles and on all the trees are all of the lion king, uh, uh, you know, uh, branding and symbols and everything. And I mean, by the time we get up to the door, my kids and Leslie and me, I mean, we, we're doing the Lion King dance. We'd made up our own Lion King song about how great this was going to be. And I mean, they were, it was, it was absolute, total joy and ecstasy as only parents can bring their children. So we walk in and go to Will Call where our tickets are waiting and we're all standing there, you know, still kind of humming the Lion King song we made up, you know, 300 yards before that. And the Will Call person comes and I said, well, my name's, you know, Ross Strader and I'm here to pick up my tickets for the Lion King. And he says, okay, well, just a minute. And he looks and says, well, hang on a minute. I need to go check something. And we're all still dancing and can't wait to see it. And he comes back and he he. He, he's white as a sheet. He says, Mr. Strader, 
I don't know how to tell you this, but your tickets were for last night. Yeah, you feel it, don't you? <laughs> we are completely sold out. And all of a sudden, I hear one of my children, they each say it was the other one, I don't really know, begin to wail at the top of their lungs. And I mean, this place ain't got no carpet. That wail echoes through the entire thing. Someone thought we were abusing our children at will call. And then the other begins to cry. And I don't mean cry. I mean sob and weep and heave tears. And then my wife begins to cry. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, honey, take the children outside. I'm going to deal with this. So they walk out and I look at that guy and I say, look, I don't, I don't know what you have to do. I don't know what I have to do. We have to see the Lion King. And he's like, I feel you. Hang on just a minute. And so he goes back. There's nothing I can do tonight, sir. And he said, but tomorrow night, I, I, can, I think I can get you four tickets. We're not supposed to sell them, but under the circumstances, I would. But he says, they're not cheap. And I said, I don't care. <laughs> so for the next three years, we paid off the Lion King. But I mean, that kind of disappointment, like, man, we've been building up for this. And it was disappointment all around. How, how could we have missed it? Well, listen, as we open up the resurrection stories that are laid out for us in the gospel, we have to know that they don't begin with a mood of celebration and joy. What they begin with is the mood of great desperation and disappointment. At the end of chapter 27, it records that, that um, Jesus died, and then a man named Joseph asks for his body, and he took Jesus off the cross, and he wrapped his body in a burial cloth, and he and he laid him in a tomb, actually his own tomb. And it, it looked like a cave carved out of a rock. And Jesus is laid in a tomb. And this huge stone is rolled over the entrance. And it is a sad scene. Mary and the other Mary, who we heard about just a moment ago, is Jonathan and Shelby read. In fact, it tells us at the end of 27, they're sitting there across from the tomb. And the tomb is sealed. And they are weeping. After this, the religious leaders who had orchestrated the events of Jesus being crucified appealed to Pilate, who's the governor, the man who ended up ordering the crucifixion. And the reason that they were coming was because Jesus had taught on several occasions that he'd be delivered up to death, buried, and then rise again on the third day. And he claimed that he'd be resurrected. Now, resurrection was not something anybody believed in in the first century. The only way it was spoken of was as something that could not absolutely happen. Now, the Jews, they had a belief in resurrection, but it was a resurrection at the end of time. It was a resurrection at the end of the days. And Daniel writes about it in Daniel 12, 1 and 2, and he says, look, everybody's going to be resurrected at the end. Good and bad, you'll be resurrected, and you will spend either your life eternally in the presence of God or eternally separated from Him. But no one believed in a resurrection. 
But they went to Pilate because they were concerned that, you know what, this man, all we've seen, all we've heard, he might actually rise from the dead. The religious leaders, if they weren't concerned about that, they were at the very least concerned about a conspiracy where the disciples would steal his body, claimed he'd been risen from the dead, it would only add fuel to their cause. They didn't realize what a faulty thing that would have been. But anyways, they go to Pilate. Pilate says, I'll give you a guard of soldiers. And then they take, and the Roman soldiers show up. They seal the tomb, and it would have been sealed with the emperor's seal. And to break that seal would have been to break Roman law. I am sure the angel that broke the seal was super worried about that. <laughs> Here's what the leaders didn't know. They didn't know the disciples. They, they weren't any threat. They were scared. They had been scattered. They were defeated. They lost hope. That's what we read about. That the disciples of Jesus, the closest followers of Jesus... They lost hope. The last thing on their minds was keeping this deal going. They had put all their eggs in the Jesus basket, and now he's dead. Whatever light that Jesus was shining, for them it had been snuffed out. All that was left was darkness. You know, Matthew, the, the writer of this gospel, he was actually there. As he sits down to write this account, he'd, he, he'd been there. He's one of the disciples that ran scared and wondered, what on earth are we going to do now in life? Tells us in verse 1, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Matthew's given us a time marker. What he's actually doing is telling us this is the third day. The first day of the week is the third day. He's identifying it for us in a new way, though. This is actually a, a first day. In other words, a, a new day has dawned. A new age has come. It is, it is the first day of an absolutely different world. The dawn of this day was different than any other day. It was not only literally a new day. It was a spiritual dawn. The light had broken through the darkness. Jesus had suffered the darkness of death and was raised on this morning. And the light was shining in the darkness. You know, just as Genesis 1 records, where the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was the moment history began. It was the dawn of this morning. A new history begins. A new age has begun. See, when we talk about the resurrection, we are talking about the most significant event in all of history. It is the power of God breaking through the darkness and shining light. And the apostle John, he begins his entire gospel and says, in the beginning, and then he moves to, in him was life. In Jesus was life, and he was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. See, resurrection morning, when, when the life of Jesus defeats death, this is the beginning. It's a new beginning. It's the first taste, the New Testament says, of a new creation. 
where Genesis begins with the creation of heavens and earth, the book of Revelation ends with the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. This resurrection morning is the first taste. It is the first fruit of the new that is to come. It goes on to tell us that, behold, there was a great earthquake. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, by now she was the the mom of, of James and John, They walk into a scene that is going to change everything. These two represent, actually, the weakest of the weak. Women who who are virtually, in their world, unknown. And they are grieving. And they fully expect to show up and be mocked by the guards. And what they're met with in their weakness is power that will blow their mind. They, They show up at an earthly grave, and they are met by the power of heaven. The the earth shakes, an earthquake, and then there's an angel, and then the stone that covered the tomb, it's rolled away, and there's an angel, and he takes a seat, and Matthew says he looks like lightning. Heaven and earth, they, they get drawn together in this moment. God's space and our space come together at the resurrection. You know it was something. The guards are freaked out. They're paralyzed. They fall to the ground. The angel, he doesn't even have to draw a sword. He doesn't need to. Holiness was enough. Then the angel says, don't be afraid. Which I've always thought, you know, easy for him to say. I mean, you know, it's an earthquake, angels, Roman soldiers. Actually, though, I picture the angel loving this moment. He is about to get to announce that his creator, his God, his king, the eternal son, has risen from the dead. He's getting to announce that which brings us hope, that which brings us salvation. In fact, Peter will write about the angels. See the angels? We get to know God in a way the angels will never know. They are not the recipients. They are not granted salvation. They are elected to presence with God or they are elected to presence, uh, to be banished from the presence of God. But there is no redemption for an angel. There is redemption for mankind. That's why Jesus became a man not an angel. And Peter will tell us that angels long to look into this redemption. We know God in a way that they don't. And here this angel gets to announce, be the first one to announce, and the stone's rolled away. Listen, it's not, the stone's not rolled away so Jesus can make an exit. Jesus is already gone. He's already gone and folded his pajamas after he left which is the second miracle somebody said a single man folded his own clothes (laughs) don't be afraid there's nothing to fear I I know why you came here you came to pay your respects you came to mourn your loss you came to make peace with your sorrow I mean these women they'd seen it all they witnessed him die on the cross They, they, they saw him beaten and scourged by Roman soldiers beyond 
recognition, hung to a cross, on the cross until he breathed his last, and a Roman soldier come and stick a spear in his side. They saw Joseph of Arimathea come and pull his body off the cross along with Nicodemus, wrap it in 75 pounds of burial linen cloth, laid in the tomb, and watch the stone roll in front of it. They'd witnessed the darkest moments in humanity. When the power and corruption and rebellion and wickedness and uninhibited evil was poured out on Jesus, they were there. Listen, they'd tasted evil in their own life. That They knew the world was broken. They knew it was a sinful place. But they'd seen the curtain pulled back. And with their own eyes, they saw the depth of wickedness that mankind is capable of. The angel says, don't be afraid. God's new world has begun. This is what Easter's about. He is not here. He has risen as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Now go and tell the disciples. You know, there's one character in this scene that always has captured My imagination has captured my affection. And it's Mary Magdalene. She is the only person that shows up in every single one of the resurrection accounts. She will be the very first one Jesus appears to. They they went to see, and what they saw were two different things. They went to see a place, they ended up encountering a person. And Mary Magdalene is the central figure in all four of the Gospels. She was there at the cross. She was there when they laid Jesus in the tomb. And here she is on the first day after the Sabbath, the third day, coming to see the tomb. And I want you to know who she is. I want you to understand what Jesus is doing. That The Gospel writers introduce us to Mary from where she is from. She's from Magdala. And listen, no No self-respecting Jewish person came to be for Magdala. It was by all accounts a Gentile city in the midst of Jewish land. It was the center of the fish market for this part of the Roman world. It was a rough town. In fact, ancient histories record that the downfall of Magdala was promiscuity and immorality. It's a good thing we have gotten way past those things in our world. Most historians believe she is an unmarried woman from Magdala, and that means that likely she was a prostitute. But not only that, when Jesus meets her in Luke's gospel, she has another problem. When Jesus meets her, she's demon-possessed. She's been possessed. She's possessed by seven spirits, which is a way to say she is completely possessed. Not only was she used and abused by men from Magdala, she was a woman possessed by demons. That is how Jesus found her. And it doesn't take much imagination to picture what this woman, what this woman looked like. Or the kind of broken and damaged life she must have had. That's how Jesus found her. And he healed her. 
In many ways, the life of Mary Magdalene is this microcosm of what Jesus came to do. He came to the sick, to the poor, to the ones with heavy burdens. He came to heal them and to save them. This woman was completely lost and broken and was overcome by the darkness of hell. She's actually a picture of what we talked about in Genesis 1. When the world was formless and void and darkness covered over the deep, that describes Mary when Jesus found her. And when John says that Mary, uh, that John says that Jesus' life and the light was the light of men, that's what Mary encountered. And as far as we can tell from all the gospel accounts, Mary was with Jesus for the rest of his ministry, and there at the cross and the burial. She's come to be at his tomb on the first day, not to celebrate, but to mourn. It's worth noting she doesn't have much company. Matthew records another Mary. From the other Gospels we piece, there were a few other women, but nobody else. Jesus taught his disciples that he would rise on the third day. That, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he'd be crucified on the third day he's arise. That's what Matthew's telling us. The very first verse that they did not understand. Maybe, maybe they didn't believe him. Leads me to why Mary's there. I don't think she fully understood. I, I don't think she fully comprehended what it is that Jesus was saying. In fact, all the Gospels reveal she was there to mourn. But she went to see a place. She ends up being greeted by a person. She didn't fully understand who Jesus was. She didn't fully understand the power he had. But she encounters him in his full glory. So I think there's actually people like that. You know, you think Jesus is good. You know a little about him. Maybe you know a lot about him. He's good. He's powerful. He's important. But you know, the reality is, if you come down to it, you think, you know, I, I know Jesus is good, and I know he's powerful, and I know he's important. But see, you don't know how powerful my past is. And I'll never get past my past. Maybe this morning you think your sin is more powerful. You might say, you know, look, this is great, but you don't, you don't know what I've done. But my sickness or my suffering or my broken marriage or my estranged child or the bitterness I have for my Father, all these things are more powerful. See, I think that's why Mary Magdalene's in the story. She's kind of an exclamation point on this thing called Christianity. Well, I'll tell you, John, in his gospel, includes one bit that Matthew doesn't, but John makes sure we know that somewhere in the midst of this scene, there's kind of a chaos and kind of a confusion Matthew doesn't record it, but John gives us more detail. What we find is that between the discovery of the empty tomb and the angel getting out the words, don't be afraid, the women, they run back, tell Peter, tell John, they run to see the tomb, they go home. John believed. Peter didn't yet fully understand. And then John tells us the rest of Mary Magdalene's story, and this is it. There is a moment in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the chaos, Mary's alone at the tomb. She's weeping because she's brokenhearted. The body's gone. She thinks it's been stolen. The angel says, why are you weeping? Which is the reason why we know angels are men. 
Probably not, Johnny. I shouldn't have said that. They're not. I didn't mean that. She says, I don't know where he is. To my knowledge, she's the only person that encounters an angel and does not fall at his feet. She is so consumed with her grief and so consumed with her love for Jesus that she's virtually unfaced by the angelic being. She says, I don't know where he is. And then Jesus appears. It's the first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection is to Mary Magdalene. She thinks he's the gardener. And you know what Jesus says to her? He says, woman, why are you weeping? Who do you seek? That's John chapter 20, verse 15, and it is loaded with meaning. So they're in a garden. Jesus, God in the flesh, is in the garden. And here is Mary. And if the church is the gathering of the men and women and children who confess the resurrection of Jesus, then Mary is the very first of all of us. The church is called the bride of Christ. And here Jesus calls her woman. I told you this was a new age. The beginning of a new creation, the kingdom of God. In Genesis chapter 2, and I'll move on and we'll... We'll conclude. But in Genesis chapter 2, the very first Adam, after he had woken up from a death-like sleep, God puts him to sleep and then takes and, and, and pierces his side and pulls the rib out, creates the woman, and he introduced to the bride. And you know what the very first thing that this Adam says to this bride he meets for the first time? In fact, it's the very first spoken words of man. Woman. Jesus, after rising from the dead, after having his side pierced, is here in the garden, appears to Mary, the first of all of us. And you know what he calls her? Woman. Everything is being made new. Jesus is redeeming everything, even back to the very beginning, and He is redeeming it for all of us. You know what? He begins with the most broken and weak and heavy-hearted of us all. After addressing her as woman, He calls her by name. She's so excited, she hugs Him. She, She just grabs hold of Him. So much so, He says, Mary, stop clinging to me. I'm not going anywhere yet. You got to go tell the brothers. You know, from this account, all the accounts, one way or the other, you hear three commands to Mary Don't be afraid. Come and see. And go and tell. The angel says that. So does Jesus. Don't be afraid. See, God's new world has begun, and you're invited to be a part of it. Matthew 28, verse 8 tells us that they left the tomb with fear mingled with great joy. Later, the disciples who come see them on the mountain in Galilee, it says they worshipped and they doubted. Luke's gospel says they disbelieved, disbelieved for joy. And marveled. In other words, it's too good to be true. But it turns out, 
It's better than we could have ever imagined. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. It may be overwhelming, but it's safe. Also says, come and see. And then recognize that this new world is just the beginning. Come with your questions. Come and examine the evidence. The evidence about Jesus' life and death. The evidence which is wonderfully strong. The evidence of His bodily resurrection. For you this morning, the path may look misty. Maybe you think, I've, you know what, I've done this. I've been to the Easter deal. I come to the Easter deal. What more do you want from me? I want you to come and see. You came to a place this morning. I want you to meet a person who's not dead and just part of a history book, but is alive even right now. Those who are believers are said to be in Christ. Now. Come and see. Once you've tasted the grace of God through the faith of His Son Jesus, those things you're afraid of, those things that keep you from it, those distractions, they don't have power over you anymore. They have no rights over you anymore. Jesus took all that you were upon Himself and died with it. And was raised again to new life to clothe you in all that He is. Paul says, work it out, calculate it, reckon it. Because when you believe that Jesus died for your sin and that He was raised from the dead to new life, you, you've also died to sin. And you are alive to God in Christ. And you're a new creation. That's the hope this morning. That's the good news. Don't be afraid. Come and see. There's actually a third Easter command. Go and tell. It's interesting that it's, it's part of the heart of the mystery of God's new creation is this strange truth that happens is that it spreads and it spreads the telling of others. When you, when you speak the gospel, when you tell the gospel, it actually spreads. Within 350 years of this resurrection, Rodney Stark and his book, The Rise of Christianity, says in 350 years, Christianity expands exponentially because of go and tell that within 350 years, 56% of the world's population believed in Christ. You know, I have three children, and we've done our share of Easter egg hunts, and one of the things I noticed is that they never find an Easter egg that they don't come and tell you about. The telling is part of the joy of finding. In the case of Jesus, the telling is part of the joy of being found. That's Christianity. It's not just a bunch of words and facts. It's not just a bunch of information to digest. It's something, something of a movement, of a revolution. It's what the resurrection does. It comes and it completely completely transforms you. New creatures in a new age with a new king and we get to be a part of what God's doing. The scriptures and the power of God are yours. 
as a believer. Some of you this morning came to attend an Easter service. I pray that you'll meet a risen Savior this morning. That God would grant you faith to see His Son Jesus high and lifted up. Your Savior. Your Redeemer. For others, you came this morning in sorrow. In you, Jesus is the only answer to the events that have faced you in the past, walking through even today. And He says to you this morning, don't be afraid. And for others, maybe you look at your life and you realize this morning that you've been content with what you would call worship, but you've never stepped out of what it means to be one that has witnessed it. Week after week, you come and see, but this morning in the authority of the name of Jesus and by the power of His strength. I commend to you, go. Go and tell. Increase the joy it is of being found. Now I want to take a moment and um, pray for us. I want to pray particularly if you're here this morning and never considered that, you know what? resurrection of Jesus, if it's real, then it has ramifications. I don't want you to just come here and play church. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I hope that you'll come back. But we've come to say, because we believe, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you bow with me? Father, thank You for the freedom that we...